0: And I don't know if you guys saw on social media uh, this week, but Pastor Luke, uh, our next-gen pastor, had his baby. Or he, well, he didn't, but his <laughs> wife had the first baby. Let's give them a hand, all right? They're gonna need more than a hand because they got no idea what their life just became, right? Is everybody pregnant right now with like their first kid? Anybody pregnant with their first kid, right? Okay, okay. How many of you guys have had a child before, right? Okay. So a couple of weeks ago, we're in a staff meeting and talking about sermons and stuff, and I feel like it's my job, if I ever get a chance to talk to a first-time parent, specifically a dad, to let him know the real about having a baby, okay? Because here's what happens is, is you find out you're pregnant and then everybody tells you all the great stuff, right? It's kind of like, it's, it's like joy to the world. It's like the whole Christmas thing. You're like joy to the, oh, it's so good. So congratulations, it's gonna be wonderful. And this little bundle of joy is gonna come to your life and all the excitement and the greatness. And then you have that baby and then you discover that everyone that had talked to you before the baby was born was a bold faced liar, okay? Because it is not okay. When we, we've we got three little boys. No, actually, they're not little boys anymore. They're 13 and 11 and 7. But I remember when Cole, our oldest, was born, I, I, I was not prepared for the first six weeks of parenting. Because basically what someone should tell you is, imagine this, and this isn't an original with me, but it, it's so true. Imagine if someone moved into your house, and for the first six weeks, they were massively emotionally unstable, didn't speak your language, and were possibly drunk, okay? That is basically what happens living with an infant, right? And, and the tough part is it's just crazy. You think, oh, it's this bundle of joy that's come to our house. And like, for me, at least, it was, it was a bundle of, of anxiety and of stress and of like angst and sleep deprivation, right? And all these things. And yeah, mixed in there, I know there are some cool moments. I get it. But when you don't know, and all of a sudden this baby arrives in your life, and you're like, what have we gotten ourselves into? And I'm sure there's been some moments, you know, I, you know Luke, they've done a great job on, 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 on Insta, putting some pictures that just look so warm and fuzzy. Probably what wasn't posted is like the 4 a.m. feeding picture, right? Where he just went to jump out the window or something. But is you get these arrivals, and, I, and as I was thinking about it, and we're looking at this whole idea of home for Christmas. And, and, and if this sermon needs a title, it's, it's called Bundle of Joy. It is, as I started thinking about Luke and into their life this week and, and the arrival of babies, right? Right here in the front row, little baby. I began to think about the Christmas story. And I thought to myself, do you think there was ever a point, like a moment or maybe moments, when Mary was like, what in the world have we gotten ourselves into? The arrival of Jesus, in some ways, completely ruined Mary's life. Like, think about Mary had an idea, I'm guessing, of what her life would be like. And I can guarantee you, there was no way as a child she dreamed of having the life that she ended up having after Jesus arrived in her life. And we're going to unpack that this morning because here's here's what I wonder, is if it's true that like when a baby shows up in our life, it's supposed to be a bundle of joy, but there's a lot of things that can get real disillusioned and just weird. And those first few weeks, it's just tough. And then maybe Mary had that, you know, with with Jesus is, is here's what I'm wondering about you and me. Is there a chance that maybe a few of us aren't exactly sure what to do with the arrival of Jesus in our life? Like some of you, you're, you're here, somebody invited you and you're, you're trying church out on Saturday night. And for you, you're, you're curious. Like it's almost the Christmas season, it's here. You've been listening to Christmas music all week as, as a good American person would do, right? As a good human being would do. And you're getting in the spirit. So you thought, I'll give church a try. And you're curious about Jesus, but you're a little bit concerned about inviting him to arrive in your life. Because there's, there, there's something that has to happen for that to, to take place, and it's, it's called humility. We're going to unpack that. And then there's some of us here tonight that maybe you have invited. Jesus has arrived in your life, maybe last Christmas. And what you find yourself battling with is gaining or maintaining the courage necessary to actually follow him where he's leading your life. And some of us, were lifers. You welcomed Jesus into your life and you were like six, and now you're like 46 or 56 or 66. And, and you don't say it very often because it's not a good churchy thing to say, but, but the gift has kind of gotten old. And, and, and the joy that you used to have with the arrival of Jesus in your life, you're, you're, you're kind of trying to figure out where the joy went. And then there might be some of us this morning where, for you, it's it's a question of faithfulness. Like, can I finish what I've started with Jesus? And here's what I know about us. Here's what I know about Jesus. I know this, is is we're all in different places. But here's what I think is true about Jesus. Is when Jesus arrives in our life, he is always at work on at least two levels. He's always at work in us, and he's at work through us. And if we don't keep that as as, as a principle, he's always at work in us, but he's also at work through us in what he's doing. What can happen, I believe, is we can quickly become very disillusioned with the arrival of Jesus in our life because we hear joy to the world. And we think that means Jesus has come to make me happy. Right? And if we, as we look at Mary's life, what we're going to see is that, yes, there were some things that happened as Jesus arrived in Mary's life. He was doing things in Mary's life, but, but there was something so much bigger going on that God was doing through her life. And the same is true for you. And if we don't get that, we can begin to think, man, I don't know about this arrival of Jesus thing. Because it was supposed to be like, joy to the world, all my problems are gone. I lost the weight and my husband's no longer a jerk, right? My boss is awesome. My kids actually obey me and it's good. I don't know. Like we have these thoughts that, that if Jesus arrives, things will really be great. And honestly, sometimes we have to kind of, I think maybe preacher people like me have to own the fact that maybe we've given some misconceptions about it, right? Like just follow Jesus and everything will be great. Well, when we watch Mary's life, Jesus showed up in their life and then it wasn't real great, really ever. And so what I want us to try to start this, this Christmas season is talking about home for Christmas. And, and I would really love for you to consider, you know, humbly, courageously, with gratitude and faithfulness, inviting Jesus to arrive in your, your home and in your life this Christmas. But I I want us to start with at least like a kind of realistic look at it to say, What does that look like? Because the arrival of Jesus will bring joy to your life. Here's the deal, though. There is a massive difference, in my opinion, between joy and happiness. You see, joy, if we define it, it looks like this. Joy, okay, joy is the emotion evoked by well-being. Well-being speaks to this idea of wholeness. So when Jesus is at work in you and through you, he's at work in you to make you whole, to bring you a sense of well-being. And out of that well-being and wholeness comes joy. Happiness is momentary bliss about something going on, usually circumstantially well around you. And Jesus is much more dedicated to your joy than he is your happiness. Because Jesus is at work in you, his arrival is going to be moving you step by step towards living a whole, completed, well life. There are four elements that I think go into creating a life of wellness, of wholeness. There are these, humility, courage, gratitude, and faithfulness. Say them with me, humility, courage, Gratitude and faithfulness. I think these four character traits are are, are some of the, the, the vital tools that Jesus actually uses as he arrives in our life. Actually, you know what's crazy? Is I actually think they're the four character traits that we have to choose daily as Jesus arrives in our life. And here's the crazy part about this. What I want to unpack today in the remaining time that we have is the fact that the same opportunity that was given to Mary is the same opportunity that's given to every single one of us. Sans the virgin birth part. That was a little unique. <laughs> but the gospel story The good news is that the God of the universe that created and sustains it all, like the Christmas season says that basically the invitation, the opportunity for every human being on this earth is that Jesus, he's alive and he's well and he actually would like to arrive in your life and journey with you for the rest of eternity. And through that time, he will be working in you and through you to invite you to join him in what he's doing to become whole, to become well, to be full of joy, and to actually see the future created that's on his heart. So how does that start? Well, it starts by humbly receiving it. What do you do with the arrival of Jesus? You humbly receive it, okay? Let's take a look at this. We can get this right off the bat as we're introduced to Mary and the whole uh, Christmas story. Let's jump into it. It says, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's this. It's a word there it needs to come out of my mouth. <laughs> Elizabeth's pregnancy. God sent an angel, Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great. It will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his son, of his father, David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin. The angel said the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the most high will overshadow you. So the holy one to be born will be called the son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative is going to have a child in her old age. And she who has said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month for no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary asked. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. The amount of humility that Mary had to choose to accept this invitation, to accept this bundle of joy is mind-blowing. Can you imagine if Mary threw a fit here? Because that's totally within their own possibility. Like we, she, like, I love to get into the Bible stories and realize that this isn't a Bible story. This was a person. And just imagine today, whatever you have planned for the next six days or six months or six years in your life, that an angel shows up and says, yeah, can all that, it's not happening, total different plan because Jesus is showing up. That happens all the time actually, right? Not in like this, but, but he does. And it would been very easy for Mary to be like, absolutely not, not okay. Whether I'm a part of the servant plan or whatever God's plan is, no, thank you, choose someone else. Because if you're saying that I'm pregnant and I know that Joseph and I haven't, you know, so then I got to go tell everybody in my life that I'm pregnant, but don't worry because it's God's baby and they're going to believe that. No, they're not. Like all of the things that she had to, to, to actually receive, but somehow she was able to come to like this place of humility. And maybe it was just the overarching, mind-blowing reality that, that God wanted to be a part of her life. You ever receive a gift that you weren't really sure what to do with? And you had to open it in front of the people that gave it to you, right? So you're opening it like... Hey, it's a, uh, I was one, you just have no idea what it was. I remember we first got, Julie and I first got married, um, we got a present from, uh, from her biological father, and, and we didn't know them him very well, and he didn't know me at all, and so, but I had heard maybe they gave good gifts, because he would give good gifts when Julie was young, and so they, the present came, and I was like, oh, yeah. Now, thank God they weren't there to see this happen. They were in Houston, but I opened it, and I like NASCAR, okay, so let me just say that, but I opened it, and it was a Matt Kenseth windbreaker, okay? I don't particularly like Matt Kenseth. I don't ever wear windbreakers, right? But I had to open it, and I was like, it's a, a Matt Kenseth windbreaker, and I put it on a hook and it hung in the closet for years until we gave it to Goodwill. But sometimes, right, you're given a gift and you're just not sure what to do with it and I think sometimes that's us with God. Is that there's this invitation, like I'm telling you, if you like that, God would like to enter into your life, guide and direct and teach you to live and, and how to forgive and, and, and what it means to live the life you're created to live. But sometimes we're just not, I'm not really sure what to do with that, Jesus. Sometimes though, I, I wonder if it's like this like have you ever received a gift that you just felt really unworthy to receive? I can remember. before the six weeks of chaos ensued when Cole showed up into our life. I can remember being in the hospital and, uh, you know, it's crazy, you have no idea what's going on. You've not done this before. Your wife's having a baby and it's like, oh, and it was like we had some complications and Julie has the oxygen mask on and we got stuff happening and I'm freaking out. Cole shows up and I was freaking out because like, because he came to the birth canal, like his ear got smashed down. So he looked like sloth from, from, uh, from Goonies. You know what I mean? And I was like, oh, Jesus, his ear. I mean, you could heal it, Lord. Just straighten that baby out. Right. Because I just was, it was, but it was fine. It it got fixed. But, but he's screaming and crying. and, And, and there was this moment where I walked over and, and he's in the little, you know, warming thing. And I just placed my hand on his, on his chest and I just started talking to him. And he was screaming and crying and in that moment he went completely silent and peaceful. And that moment was probably one of the most humbling moments of my life where I realized I, I, I don't deserve this baby, this life, this opportunity, this responsibility and it humbled me in an amazing, amazing way. And I wonder for you, you, you maybe come because you're curious, but you're thinking to yourself, you know what, Darren, I got a lot of stuff in my life. And, 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 and I, if Jesus would actually arrive in my life, I just don't know that I can receive that. Well, see, friend, it's called Grace. And it's an idea that Jesus came up with, and he's the only one that offers it, is that you can't earn it, you don't deserve it. But the opportunity, the the gift, is that he would actually forgive you of your sins and begin to work in you for the rest of your life and arrive, actually arrive in your life. And tonight, I'd just like you to maybe consider, what do you do with the arrival of Jesus? You humbly accept it. Here's the next thought. What do you do with the arrival of Jesus in your life? You courageously embrace it. We see this in Mary's life right in the beginning. Now, remember, there's two levels that God's working in your life. He's working in you and he's working through you. And it takes a lot of courage for that process to take place. Because here's what I know about you and about me. Is that we, as human beings, are terrified to actually work on what's going on inside of us. The longer I live, the longer I'm a pastor, the longer I'm on this earth, I realize that you know what is a a consistent for every single one of us? Lots of pain and things that we don't like to talk about in our life. And the arrival of Jesus takes a lot of courage because guess what Jesus really wants to do? He wants to make you whole. He wants to make your soul well so that you can live with joy. And so what happens sometimes is you start, he, Jesus arrives in your life. And you're like, man, I've been following Jesus for a year. You know, I hear what keeps happening. I keep coming face to face with like the, my, 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 my insecurities and some of my bitterness, and some of my unforgiveness and some of the struggles and the things that are making my relationships not function real great, instilling a lot of my joy. I feel like that since Jesus came into my life, I'm dealing with all of that stuff. And you will for the rest of your life because Jesus is way more interested in your wholeness than he is your happiness. And it takes courage to go on an inward journey and actually let the arrival of Jesus heal that which is broken. But I can tell you from experience, and a lot of people in this room can as well, is that when you trust Jesus with that and he actually does begin to heal your brokenness and your pain and you begin to deal with insecurities and unforgiveness and bitterness, is there's a lot of joy on the other side of that. So he's working in you, but he's working through you. And so you look at Mary's life here, and it just, I mean, if it wasn't bad enough, right, where she's like, you know, she's a teenage do- you know, kid, and now she's pregnant with God's baby, and then we go with how Jesus actually shows up and the courage that this would have took. So in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken over the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Corinthian, Quir- that guy was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph went up in the town of Nazareth and Galilee to Judea. And to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house of the land of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him, and was expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn a son. And she wrapped him in clothes and placed him in a manger, because there was no guest room available for them. We don't have time to unpack just that paragraph, and how terrible that would have been. Just imagine your wife, she's nine months pregnant, you're putting her on a donkey, you're going on a journey, and then you're having a baby in a stable with animals not at Community North or your private room at Riverview or wherever it is, all right? Um, A lot of courage there. So then you go into the story, the shepherds hear about what's going on, right? The, 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 The angels show up today in the town of David. A savior has been born to you, he's Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign you'll find a baby wrapped in cloth lying in a manger. Then the angels show up, right? Peace on earth, goodwill, all the stuff. And it's great, the shepherds come. They're there with Mary and Joseph. It's a beautiful moment, although it's not. Because then, after a few days, this is a part of the story that, that we don't read very often. It says that, that, that on the eighth day that uh, they went to, to, to consecrate Jesus, right? It says the father, the child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Because they, they, they go to get uh, Jesus uh, circumcised and everything. And, uh, and this old man, uh, Simeon, comes up and, and he gives this prophecy over Jesus' life. And they're like, whoa, wow, this is crazy. And then Simeon says this, he blesses him and he says to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. And then he ends with this. And a sword will pierce your own soul too. Just to bring it into our context. You know, when we do baby dedications and Josh or Nick are up here with the families and they say something and like sometimes Josh like prays and Lord, we pray for this little girl that she would be like Ruth or that she would be like Esther. And it's good. It's this great moment. Imagine you're here with your kid and Josh is like, Lord, we just pray that this boy would be like Paul or Peter and he would faithfully serve the Lord. And then that effort would get him crucified upside down. Excuse me? Lord, we just pray that our son would have the faith and the strength and the boldness of John the Baptist, Lord. And that process of following Jesus where he led him, led him to have his head removed by a sword, by a pretentious woman. Like, if during your baby dedication, Josh said something like that, or you heard something like that, you'd be like, I'd like a redo, complete redo on the baby dedication. I'm not looking for my kid, this arrival, like I had the angel showed up and the angel said it was joy to the world and it was going to be great and it was going to be the light of David forever in kingdoms and things. And then this guy comes up and there's a prophecy that the arrival of Jesus in my life is going to pierce my heart. I don't think I have that kind of courage to follow Jesus where he's going to take me somehow Mary did and here's what I know about us guys the longer I live the more people I talk to there is almost singular one thing that keeps us from living a life of joy from living a life of courage from living the life and becoming who we were born to be in it's it's this one thing it's the same for all of us it's fear Fear is the thing that is keeping us from actually moving into what God is inviting us into and experiencing the joy and the excitement and all the things that Jesus would like to bring as he comes into your life. I mean, just look at some of these things that, that we would probably say, right? If you came up with somebody and said, hey, why didn't you try that? Well, I was afraid that if I did. How about this? Hey, why don't you forgive him? Because I'm afraid if I forgive him that they'll. Hey, why don't. You know, it's been a long time. Why don't you forgive yourself for what happened? I'm afraid if I, right? Let's, let's try some more. Hey, why don't you believe? Well, I'm afraid. Hey, why didn't you ask him out? You like him. Why don't you call him and ask him out? Oh, I'm, af- I'm afraid though. Hey, why are you working yourself to death to where your family never sees you and you have heart problems? Because I'm afraid that if I don't make enough money, I'm going to. Hey, why are you so worried about your kids? That you find your life has no joy and it's really unpleasant because you're always so worked up and worried about your kids. Well, because I'm afraid that if I. Like we can just, I can continue to give scenarios and the same answer is going to be there every single time. I'm afraid. Now here's the crazy part. The Bible says that perfect love casts out all fear. The Bible also tells us that God is love. So let's follow this logically. If God is love and the presence of love casts out all fear, if we are being manipulated and controlled and held down by fear, what it means about me and what it means about you, it means that we actually struggle to believe that Jesus has actually arrived in our life. Because if I believe that Jesus is here, it's like, this is grace, me and Jesus together. And we have this situation and we're looking at it. And I'm going to say, you know what, Jesus, I'm really scared about this. And Jesus is going to say, I totally get it. It makes sense that you're scared about that. I understand fear. But here's the deal. Perfect love. I'm in the mix with this. So guess what? We can cast out that fear and you can choose courage in this moment. How much courage? Joy is on the other side for your life if you could begin to choose courage. But here's the deal. You cannot wait for fear to go away. See, fear is a feeling that will be present. I'm going to say probably always when you get ready to make a decision that you're not sure about. That is a decision based on faith. But I think that's what this deal is that Jesus invites us into, isn't it? To walk in faith faith that his arrival in my life can actually allow me to choose courage and move forward i I don't know what's going on in your life right now but i guarantee if we just had some time to sit around and talk every one of us would come up with a scenario where fear is trying to paralyze us and keep us from moving forward and maybe this Christmas season as you're celebrating and singing and lighting candles and giving gifts could stop for a minute and go, you know what? If Jesus has arrived, I, I can be courageous in this moment. What about gratitude? We got to keep moving. What about gratitude? Here's the deal. What do you do with the arrival of Jesus? Well, you protect it with gratitude. Gratitude back to Mary's story, right? is if we go back and we dig in chapter one of Luke, what happens is Mary gets this announcement and then she goes and hangs out with Elizabeth for a few months. and when she gets there they start talking about Elizabeth is having a baby and Mary's having a baby and then Mary just she's so grateful. she's so overwhelmed with joy about what's happening. She just bursts into song. And in the song she's like, she, you know she, "My soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant." She goes on and on and she's just overwhelmed with gratitude. And it just spills out through song. And, and I started thinking this week, and it, and it reminded me, I went back to, to reading some of them. Um, I don't know if anybody's ever read any Brene Brown's books. If you haven't, I would highly suggest them, they're great. And in her book, Daring Greatly, Brene talks about this amazing connection between joy and gratitude. Because, see, the arrival of Jesus does not mean that things are going to go perfect. And things, in fact, it could mean that things get worse for you because he's at work in you, but he's work, at work through you in his agenda, and his will. And what I found that the longer that I followed Jesus, what I'm beginning to realize is that joy is something that can be lost. It's why when David was praying to the Lord, he asked him to restore unto him the joy of his salvation, meaning that it could be possible to live with the arrival of Jesus in your life and have no joy about it. In fact, it'd be more of an annoyance or a burden. So how do we fight for joy. Well Brene says she interviewed thousands of people that, that did not have great lives. They had had lots of stress and lots of trials and, and, and lots of things that, that, that should or at least could have produced someone who was not joyful, who was very bitter, who was very resentful, who was very broken down. and she met these thousands of people and interviewed them and, and interview after interview after interview, what she found with these people who she assumed would be that would be completely void of joy is that they lived amazingly joyful lives in the midst of really bad circumstances. And she found one common denominator in all of their stories is these were people who made a decision, a choice to be disciplined in their use of gratitude. Not just like I have an attitude of gratitude. No, no. These were people who fought for joy and the greatest weapon in that fight was gratitude. It may seem childish because it's one of the first things we teach our kids when they arrive in our life and can understand language, right? Say thank you. Say thank you. Say thank you. you." But sometimes in my life, as I'm going through and Jesus is doing things in me that I really wish he wouldn't do. And maybe he's asking me to, and he's doing things through me and he's asking me to follow him into places I'm not sure I have the courage to go. I can begin to get a little resentful of the gift. And lose gratitude. And when I lose gratitude, I lose joy. So in this Christmas season, I don't know what that looks like for you. You say, yeah, well, dear, you know what, if I had some stuff to be thankful for, maybe I could maybe I could be grateful but you don't know what's going on in my life. You don't know the problems I have with my kids and this and this and they do this and they do this. Well, yeah, you could just start with being grateful you have some. Well, you don't understand. My wife is this and she does this and this is terrible here and this is bad and this is wrong here. Yeah, I know, but maybe you could just start with being grateful that you have one. Which you don't understand, my job's terrible, Darren. I have to work this and whatever. And it's not paying me this and I could do this. And, and this guy has a better situation than this. And I hate this. And this is stinks. And this is terrible. And this is facts. I'm telling you, this is facts about my job. I, I know it is. But you could just start with maybe being grateful that you have one. Or, or some days it could start like this. Like, I'm, I'm grateful I have two hands. I'm grateful I can see. Like when you, when you get up and, 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 and you, you have that first cup of coffee and you smell it, you could just say... I'm thankful for coffee today. It may sound childish, but I'm telling you. This life is really hard and painful. The cool part is that Jesus has arrived and he walks through it with us. And to maintain and to defend and persevere with joy in your life, you have to choose gratitude. Every night we put the boys to bed, I always ask them this question before we pray. I say, boys, what are you grateful for? And I make them find something in that day that they're grateful for. Because I want to raise young men that are moving towards wholeness and wellness and joy. Last thought and then we're done. It's faithfulness. I can't imagine this last part. And as Eric and the van come and get ready, it's actually a great segue into this time of communion that we're going to have. Because one of the last pictures, one of the last images, one of the last moments we get with Mary is this, from John 19. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. And when Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, woman, Here is your son, and to the disciple, here is your mother. And from that time on, the disciple took her into his home. I can't can't imagine the pain and the confusion of that moment for Mary. She's at the foot of a cross that her son is hanging from being crucified. And she's gotta be thinking, wait a second, this started back here and I had to humbly accept this gift. Remember the angels showed up and this was, it was gonna, they, they, they said it was gonna be joy to the world and all this stuff was happening, all the courage we had to do and all the things we had and I, and I, I did it and I was here and I tried to be grateful and now I'm having to watch my son die. And the crazy part is after this moment Mary just kind of disappears from the biblical narrative. And I wonder, it's because just shortly after that moment I just read, Jesus says three words. He says, it is finished. And he was talking about his life and his mission, but I wonder if because she was in earshot, that was was him even saying to her, well done, my good and faithful servant. That what Jesus and what God was doing in and through her was then finished because she had been humble and she had been courageous and she had been grateful and she had been faithful to the very end. And through her life, in and through her, God was able to actually bring salvation and joy to the entire world. And here's the deal for you and for me. Here's the thing. I know our mission is not as important as Mary's because Mary already did the Jesus thing. But here's the deal. You have a mission for your life. You have a time set out. You have, you have this, this, See, Jesus has been, he's invited you, right, to come into to, to what he's doing in and through you, and there are things he wants you to accomplish. Lives that need to be impacted. Problems in the world that need to be solved. Families that need to be brought back together. Stuff that only you can do in the space and the place that you are because you're on earth right now at this pace and at this time because he chose that. Mm-hmm. And if you will choose humility and courage and gratitude and stay faithful, there will be a day where you'll be just like Mary again. Because I bet you if we could walk into the streets of heaven right now and find Mary and say, Mary, can we ask you a question? I can't imagine what you had to go through. The humility, the courage, the gratitude, the faithfulness to see yours. Would you, would you do it again, Mary? And I bet she would grin ear to ear and say a thousand times, yes. Because there was a moment when she walked in to, to, to paradise and she heard the same thing that you and I want to hear when we finish this life. And we arrive face to face with Jesus and he looks us in the face and he says, well, done, my good and faithful servant. And that will be a moment of amazing joy.